0: Good morning, friends. It is Friday morning. We're actually getting ahead of schedule a little bit today, just a bit before 9 a.m. It is our time for our series of devotions looking at 1 Corinthians, and today we are going to finish up 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, uh, if you were with us last time as we went through the passage, you know that we talked quite a bit about uh, the problem of idol worship, the problem of um well, of it being so prevalent in the Corinthian culture. It was such a a dominant uh, strand of worship all throughout this major sort of metropolitan city that Paul really has an extended discussion about it. I mean, you can actually go back to 1 Corinthians 9 in which really that topic begins with the discussion of whether you should uh, eat meat, sacrifice to idols and that sort of thing. and. Now, of course, we, we don't really deal with that issue today um, as far as whether we should eat meat sacrificed to other gods. Um, but nonetheless, we still do deal with our fair share of idolatry, as we talked about last time. And and Paul mentioned some of those idols, that the idol of coveting and sexual immorality, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and we applied those to our modern-day life. Now, uh, Paul is going to conclude the chapter really summing up his thoughts on what it is we should seek to do as worshipers of this true and living god how is it that we should seek to live our lives and so he begins in chapter 10 verse 23 or i should say begins his uh closing of this section in chapter 10 verse 23 uh, with a quote and it's a quote from probably the culture in corinth probably a quote that was sent to him by the corinthian church It says, quote, all things are lawful, unquote. Paul's response, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, end quote, but not all things build up. Now, Paul does not say that all things are not lawful. He doesn't contradict that. And in truth, when you're a Christian, there is a sense in which you really are free. And so there's a sense in which that statement can be heard as true, that all things are lawful. But Paul has a qualifier there for what he considers good. And that is that things should seek to be helpful and that things should seek to to build up others and to build up ourselves. In other words, just because you're free to do a thing, doesn't mean you should do that thing. That's the idea. Uh, So so we're getting away from the question of right and wrong and we're moving into questions of um, better and worse. So it's a question of what is the best use of one's freedom? Now that all things are lawful, how should we use that freedom in our lives as Christians? And here's what Paul says in verse 24. Let no one seek his good, but the good of his neighbor. That's the idea. Christian freedom looks like getting down on one's knees and washing the feet of your neighbor, like Jesus did for his disciples. Christian freedom looks like going to work each day and actually trying to do a good job. Not, Not merely for the accolades that might come to you or for the pay raise that you might get, but no, because doing a good job is beneficial to my neighbor. It's beneficial to my boss or to my bosses. It's beneficial to my family because it ensures that I'll be able to stay at that job if I do a good job most of the time, hopefully. Um, and so it's good and does good for our neighbor. That's what should guide our freedom. Now, gets back to this idea of the meat market thing. He says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So in other words, Paul says, if you go to the meat market, don't even ask the question. doesn't, you don't need to know. You don't need to know whether this meat was, came from an idol uh, or came from the altar of an idol or whatnot, don't even worry about it. On the other hand, verse 27, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner, And you are disposed to go eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So, again, Paul's saying, even if you go to some unbeliever's house, they invite you over for dinner, don't don't worry about where the meat comes from. Just eat it. It's fine. No worries. So, Paul is saying you're free to eat the meat. You're not sinning if you were to eat the meat. Now, there, there's lots of ways that this you know, might apply to us. Um, let, let's say, for example, that you felt very convicted that uh, a certain store should be boycotted for their stance on an issue, let's just say. Um, but you were invited over to somebody's house and they've cooked you a meal. Uh, it would be weird if you were to ask them, no, I need to know before I, before I sink my teeth into this meal, are any of the products bought from this store? Because if they are, I cannot eat it. That, that's the idea Paul's getting at here. Paul's like, don't, don't make it weird. <laughs> don't make it weird for you, especially if they're inviting you over for dinner. They present you with a meal, eat what's put before you. That's really the goal that's the The goal is don't worry about it. You're free to do that. On the other hand, verse 28, if someone says to you, This has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. Why? For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, Paul says, but his. Now here's what Paul is getting at here. Paul is assuming in this situation, if somebody was to say and point out, listen, this was sacrificed to an idol. And I just want you to know, because I know that that's bad. Paul says, all right, for the sake of their conscience, if they feel like that's a problem, then go ahead and refrain. If they feel like that's gonna be a big deal, or if that shows that in some way to them, a sign that you're on the idle side, don't eat it. Not for you, you're free, but for them, for them. So you're seeing the principle here of Paul saying, whatever builds up, Whatever seeks the good of our neighbor, pursue that. That's the goal here. And then he says this, tacking it on at the end of verse 29. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of that for which I give thanks. So the idea would be, Paul is saying, you don't want to be in a situation where somebody who does have this problem in their conscience with eating meat that was sacrificed to idols um, sees you eating meat and then feels like you're, you know, like they all of a sudden now are bringing you into judgment. He doesn't want people to have a reason to judge you in your interactions with them. If people are going to judge us, folks, let them judge us for the right things, right? Let, let them judge us for, uh, for our actual confession of Jesus Christ. Let us do everything we can to take any other stumbling block out of their way. That really is sort of the principle that undergirds the last two chapters. Remember in chapter nine, Paul says, I, I make myself a servant to all that I might win some. I make myself, you know, so he says to the Jews, I became like a Jew. To the one under the law, I became like one under the law. To the Gentiles, he became like a Gentile. His goal is to say, I just don't want to put on, any unnecessary stumbling block in the way for people to hear the gospel through me. And the same principle applies to us again go beyond eating meat sacrificed to idols the idea behind this is that we would not cause any unnecessary stumbling block to get in the way of people hearing the gospel in our lives so Paul concludes the chapter in verse 31 saying this so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do do all to the glory of God Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone and everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. The same principle comes back at the same thing that he said at the end of chapter 9. He says at the end of chapter 10 here, I don't want to be a stumbling block to anybody. I want to do all things to the glory of God. Now, what does it look like to do all things to the glory of God? I mean, that, I think sometimes we, we tend to narrow down what it looks like to do things to the glory of God, meaning, well, you know, we sing in church uh, and we serve in the nursery. And, you know, if we're in the ministry, then we preach good sermons or, you know, or whatever the case may be. But it goes so far beyond that. Notice Paul says, do all to the glory of God. Well, another way of saying that is, if you can do it with a clear conscience, then do it to the best of your ability. Do it to the best of your ability. That's It, it really is that simple. I mean, worship is not just, a, you know, a set time where we sing, but worship is life. It's life for us. So whether we're eating or drinking, whether we're at work or whether we're playing with our kids, whatever the case may be, all of these spheres of life, all of these different callings that God has given us, these vocations that he's placed us in, are opportunities for us to show our worship to him. And again, that doesn't mean that in everything you're doing, that you're going, that you're like sort of saying into your breath all day long, praise Jesus, praise Jesus, praise That's not, it goes beyond that. It goes beyond mere words to a life that is lived it, the way that the reformers might have said it, quorum uh, deo before the face of God, that you would, do, uh, that you would seek to do no things um, that, would, um, that would be unnecessarily offensive to your neighbors, to your family, to your friends. And so folks, there's a thousand opportunities every single day to do things to the glory of God. There's a thousand opportunities in every sphere of life. And this infuses every part of our life with great meaning and significance nothing you do is wasted, Christian. Nothing. Everything matters. I remember this got a hold of me so clearly when I was about 19 years old. I got my first sort of real job working at UPS. I was working uh, basically in an airport hangar there loading uh, these big cans that were going to go on airplanes full of boxes. And boy, I'll tell you the first day there, it was brutal. Anybody who's worked in an airport hangar like that at UPS knows that the pace when you're not used to it is something not unlike basically anything else. (laughs) It is, uh, it is, it can be pretty, pretty rough. And so I was overwhelmed and I remember thinking as a 19 year old, like, man, is this it? Like, is this, this adult life? You just like grind every day and get off work and you're exhausted. What's the point? What is the point? And then i just happened to be reading a book at that time called god at work by gene edward beeth i'd highly recommend it because it goes over exactly the kind of stuff we're talking about today how we can live a life in our vocations that sort of brings meaning to everything and i remember it hitting me so clearly that you know it's not meaningless when i go to work and i pack boxes because what's in those boxes are things that family members have sent to family members to bless their family members. So I want to make sure and pack that box well, so that nothing gets broken. That started to change my perspective about what I was doing. I wasn't merely doing a job. But no, I was actually a means by which family and friends could send gifts to each other. And businesses could make a profit so that they could pay their employees. And without me being there, among many others, well, that that supply chain would break down. And now suddenly packing boxes every night became infused with great meaning. Everything became so significant and I wanted to do a good job. I wanted to try my best because I knew that yes, God was even working there in the UPS airport hangar. And friends, God is working through you today as well, wherever you are at, in whatever vocations you are serving whether it's at your job or with your family or with a a good night hanging out with friends or whatever it is, God is in the midst of that. He is working there. And we have opportunity to do things to his glory by serving those people around us in most of the time, pretty small, seemingly insignificant ways, but not insignificant to God and not purposeless by any stretch of the imagination. It is true. You can literally do all things to the glory of God. And that's not, a, that's not a burden. That's a gift. Because we know that even if we fail at doing all things to the glory of God, because we will, we know that there's one who already has done that in our place in substitution for us. And of course, that is Jesus Christ. Because as much as we might want to, in our hearts, do all things to the glory of God, we fall short, but he never did. He truly did all things to the glory of His Father's name. And therefore, we are free to give it our best, knowing that if we fail, we can repent, we can go to Him and know for certain forgiveness is ours day in and day out. So walk from there, folks. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your weekend. May God richly bless you.